0: It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Nice choice of music. Eddie Money with Ronnie Spector. I don't remember the year, but I sang the hell out of that song badly driving down the road. Just screams 1984 to me. I always sang the Eddie Money part, and then Ronnie Spector would sing. I could hear her sing Take Me Home. I feel, felt like I shouldn't try to sing the Ronnie Spector parts. I liked Eddie Money. You ever heard of uh, Southside... Uh, uh, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes? I haven't. Is that going to kill the story before we no, start? No, 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 okay. no. But if you ever get a chance to listen, they have a song. There's lots of versions of a song called Hearts of Stone, and there's actually two different songs that are both called Hearts of Stone. Okay. And they do a stunning version of Last Chance for Hearts of Stone. It is so good. I'll I check get the, get the remastered one, because the guitar was a little weird in the original. So, there you go. We are now joined by our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. I'm assuming that you've you've walked through with your your uh, uh, unusual-looking hat. You've done your walk for the day through the River Valley, Mr. McCurdy?
1: Uh, I'm actually doing it right after the show. I realized I was jamming into the show, and I didn't think you'd want to hear, hear me with, you know, buses roaring by on the street and stuff, so uh, well. I waited. Only, beca-
0: only because we'd be worried about you getting hit by the bus, because <laughs> I-, I think you're a better multitasker than me, but we know men have issues with that, so want to yeah, make sure Generally,
1: I try and stay off of those main streets, but you just never know what random sounds are going to pop up yeah. in an outdoor environment, you know, charging moose, you know, that kind of thing, right? So.
0: <laughs> I don't know where you're going, Bruce, but I'm sure it's a good time. Um, who has impressed you so far from Oilers Camp during the early parts of the preseason?
1: Oh... Yeah. Uh well, uh the early parts of the preseason, um the Oilers not their goal scoring, let's put it that way. One goal in two games. Um but I thought they had a pretty good show from uh uh from a, a number of the young players. Uh I've been uh somewhat reluctant participant in this uh Philip Brobery uh, Broberg um uh, outrage that's out there. So uh, Bo Aiki. I mean, let's let's start there, and let's start with the uh, with the conclusion that from there, that because Bo Aiki is a good draft pick for Edmonton in 2023, we better talk about who was drafted in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I want a little credit for who we drafted in 2023. Let's start there. And Aiki looked fantastic in terms of raw skills. His skating is plus plus, and. Uh, He's got lots of work to do, like defensively he's an adventure. He's kinda of all over the ice uh uh in both a good and bad way. Uh but with these young guys, the the key, at least for me as an observer of them, is to see the upside and to see what's translatable, what's gonna work for them against, you know, NHL class players, maybe down the road away, but what you know, what 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 skills do they have? And A key skating skills to stand out as uh very advanced and developed for an 18-year-old kid and uh presumably he hasn't stopped developing yet i mean he just started working with david pelche right so we have uh, uh um lots to look forward to there but in the meantime i mean we're finally getting to look at something close to uh what's the real oilers club um tonight and uh, congrats to you for completely surprising me with your first question I thought we were talking about
0: Brooks Robinson I'm ready for that <laughs> I'm going to do Brooks at the end, I'm sorry
1: okay.
0: <laughs> um, so let's talk about the, the orders tonight you mentioned that there's uh, pretty much a full boat of NHL players uh, Kane McDavid-Brown that line uh, got together early uh, in practices and, and looks like we're going to see them tonight uh, yep. Brown is an interesting player because he does a lot of interest. You know, he he can play a two-way game. He can pass the puck pretty well. He can move the puck. Uh, interesting addition to the line, and I thought in the game that he played that Evander Kane was showing a little bit of pop, and, and we know he had injury issues, but he looked good. What are you expecting from that top line tonight?
1: Yeah, uh, well, a uh, lot. Goals. I think we're going to get to see some goals tonight. Uh, but, um... Brown and Kane. I mean, the key for both is is their physical health, coming off of major injuries last year in both cases. Uh, Brown is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he fits in, uh, especially with McDavid, but just generally in in the uh, uh, in the forward unit, uh, and because uh, uh, he's got some pretty pretty good defensive chops, which is something the Oilers could really use in their top six, and so you know. He, he's apt to be an improvement in that department, but he's also, you know, underrated scorer. He's got two twenty goal scorers. He comes in here with roughly the same uh offensive uh track record as Zach Hyman did uh, a couple of years ago. And we've seen what Zach Hyman has done subsequently playing with high end offensive players. We've seen his offensive total surge. So I'm certainly hoping for that. From Brown. That said, I don't think he's probably going to get the kind of power play exposure that uh, Hyman gets. Uh, but it would be nice to think of a sort of five-on-five guy who can get somewhere in the you know over 40-point range uh, in sort uh, of chipping into that top six offense and also uh, I think significantly helping the defensive side. And that's, I think, clearly where the focus of the orders will be and should be uh, in Regular season time is is uh, focusing on that 200 foot game, and I'm hearing encouraging things from uh, from camp and you know podcasts and so on that are discussing it.
0: Chris McCurdy joins us from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal on Sports 1440 and the Lowdown with Low Tide. You know, it it, it reminds me, I, I I have a loop in my brain and when I hear some references they they track back to wherever it lands and I remember Glenn they being frustrated by the early 80s Oilers about, you know, they needed to play defense a little better. They, you know, wanted to run everybody out of the rink 6 nothing and and then 10 nothing and the idea of of winning 10,
1: 10, a five a, yeah, 10, well not 10 nothing. Okay, ten
0: five. <laughs> Uh, but but I think one of the one of the signature games in Oilers history was the one nothing uh, win. Grant fear the shout oh, wow. out Kevin McClellan the goal game one in eighty four the final, and I I I feel like the loop in my brain is telling me that that Sather was saying somewhat similar things to what Woodcroft is saying now. Lo and behold, about whatever that was thirty five years ago.
1: Yeah, that team did learn to to uh, raise the defensive bar in the playoffs. Uh the regular season they were always kind of prone to just playing it wide open, give the other guys the first chance and kill them on the counterattack, and it generally worked. Uh, but did you know Alan, that in their five Stanley Cup seasons, uh the Oilers had less than 50% shot share yeah. in each of them? Yeah, they were They got outshot in every one of those seasons. Now we don't have uh we don't have Corsi and and Fenwick and you know and, and some of the associated uh, stats, but they're generally in the same boat. They got outshot, period. But they were such effective bunch of shooters that uh, they would still outscore their opponents by hundred goals over the course of the season. I mean, it was incredible. They were fifteen point five percent or better shooting for seven straight years. Uh, so that was their. But come the playoffs, which is where I'm gradually getting to, they would outshoot. Their opponents by a significant margin. Their shot share would go up to like fifty five percent, somewhere in that range, and uh, so they clearly cleaned up their, you know their their process, and they continued to uh, uh, convert their own opportunities. So they tended to uh, have better goal shares in the playoffs, and they didn't the see.
0: Sports 1440, lowdown with low <laughs> time. Bruce McCurdy, I just said T. Bruce McCurdy from the <laughs> Cult of Hockey at the Everton Journal joins us. Uh, I want to read you this from Daniel Nugent-Bowman and get your reaction. He says, per Jay Woodcroft, the ideal 12th forward is a center, which he hinted should be Sutter and give him the edge. However, he was clear that the orders are going to carry the 12 best forwards. Derek Ryan will see preseason time at center, which would allow Lavois and Ernie to get the last spot. You're the voice of reason among the Olog. And Oilers uh, observers and fans. So, for those who are uh, really upset that Raphael Lavoie has had one road game out of two and doesn't appear to be playing tonight, what's your thought on Lavoie and his chances to make the team? Uh, And and if you feel as though that he's being kind of uh, given the short end of the stick here by the Oilers early on?
1: Well, he's on the fifth line, you know, in the line rushes, and that's a bit of a tell. Um, and, you know, you got Brandon Sutter playing a little bit up the lineup. That said, Ryan McLeod is out. So, you know, your whole center situation is a little bit mucked up. I mean, it's not impossible. I haven't heard anything saying that Ryan McLeod is going to be playing uh, on October 11th yet. I mean, we just know he's out for short term. Uh, so one of the options always uh, when they have a player that they don't want to send out is they can either send out a different guy who doesn't have a clear waiver, like Dylan Holloway, or someone can, you know, develop an injury and wind up on injured reserve. But with the cap situation, it would have to be a long-term injury to clear space. So that I don't see them wanting to just waive Lavoie Le- without giving him a look, and so something will happen that he'll he'll get some games. Uh Brandon Sutter, I mean, I thought he was uh, he was okay in the game that uh, uh, was played the other night, and I'm not in this camp that's sort of against him and hoping he doesn't make it and mad at the team for inviting him to camp. I don't get that <laughs> at all. Let's, you know, let's give the guy a look. He's here. Let's see what he can do. Uh, the difference between Brandon Sutter in uh, Edmonton and Brandon Sutter in Vancouver it's Not just two years uh, of uh, you know being out of hockey with long COVID, but it's also about two and a half million dollars. Yeah, you know, the Brandon Sutter at three million dollars that he was in Vancouver wasn't much of a bargain, but uh, uh, same or similar player at league minimum, uh, you know, that has some utility at least, it's not a drag on the cap, and and uh, uh if you can get some strengths out of the player right shot center fairly big good penalty killer you know he's he does have some pluses on his resume that said he's 34 years old and there's no uh there's no guarantees that uh, he's going to make it out of camp and onto the big league team it's uh, i think just as likely uh that he will uh, he will get uh um sent out in the in uh short to medium term while they sort things out up here
0: you're trying to tell me that oilers coaching and management are not working actively against their own players i bruce that's a you know i I mean i i'm reading online and i don't think that's going to fly
1: yeah i well i read some of that stuff too and it it frustrates me (laughs) at times Uh, i do think they're doing their best to try and make the team a winner and i think the the management in particular Ken Holland is 100% all in on this season because I'm pretty certain from this distance that this is going to be his final season yeah, I agree at with the that. helm. And so thus we see things like that Connor Brown contract where we're borrowing from, you know, paying Tuesday for a Frank Berger today kind of thing. And it's, uh, uh, they they love their veterans. And you know what? The coaches do too. Yeah. Uh, that, that's in, in the playoffs, we saw the co- coaches, go with the exception of the gold-handing, we saw the coaches choosing uh, veterans over younger players. And it's just the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, and I, th- that's same as it ever was. Coaches mm-hmm. like veterans because they make fewer mistakes. Uh, at the top, you mentioned Brooks Robinson, and we can't let this uh, moment slide because uh, any anybody our age uh, and maybe older – would remember 1970, and, and it just seems like everything was hit down the line to Brooks Robinson, and he was mm-hmm. hitting lights out at the plate, too. But I I mean, I've watched every World Series since, I believe, and I, I still am in awe of what Brooks Robinson did that year for the Baltimore Orioles.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly... It's among the greatest World Series performances in history, and certainly by a third baseman. Uh, you know, the hot corner... You know, those guys tend to be, you know, they play their role, but they don't tend to be in the middle of the action because they're literally on the corner of it. Uh, but Brooks Robinson, uh, throughout his career, I mean, his fielding uh, just stands alone, bar none, uh, in terms of playing that position. Uh, in 1970, in the postseason, he had 485. You know, he, <laughs> he went 7 for 12 in the championship series, and then he went 9 for 21 in the World Series. And, oh, yeah. He was making plays left, right, center, pulling down line drives, diving to make plays along the third baseline, making impossible throws from the third base coach's box. You know, uh, and uh, just a staggeringly good defensive player. So when you mentioned you were going to talk to me about him today, I thought, what can I say about Brooks Robinson that isn't going to be said 450 times over uh, around the sports world today? So I went full Bill James and I just made up a new staff. Oh, good. Uh, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something on the defensive side of the statistical realm, which I generally don't study very closely. And what I decided was a ratio between um, double plays to errors. The idea being that every error you make, you put a man on base and you don't get an out. But every double play you get, you take a man off the base and you get an extra out. So... Uh, and I only picked guys that won multiple gold gloves during Brooks' career, during his his playing time. And so that was about a 20-year span. Of course, there wasn't many multiple gold glove winners in the American League because he won 16 in a row wow. from 1960 to 75. But there was a few in the NL and a couple of the overlappers. So here we go from the bottom. Uh, Ron Santo, uh, 1.25 double plays per error. Doug Rader, uh one point well let's call it one point four. Ken Boyer won five gold gloves, one point four. Uh Mike Schmidt won ten gold gloves, one point four four. Uh Greg Nettles, one point five nine, Buddy Bell, one point six nine. And then we got the Brooks Robinson, two point three five. Wow. It's like in another world.
0: Oh, that is so, amazing. <laughs>
1: Like and these are all Gold Glove third basemen that played during the same era that he did. And you can, it looks like a Gretzky scoring
0: race. Yeah, that's crazy. And I knew Butch Hobson wasn't going to be on there because he, he tried to do what Brooks Robinson did, but he never actually managed to do it. He would leap and nothing would happen. It was embarrassing, but those were the Bullsocks, So Yeah,
1: Bill, Bill Madlock
0: isn't on this list either for some reason. <laughs> well, Madlock, was, he was not a third baseman. I don't know what they were thinking. He played there. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, as always, thank you, sir. You have a great day and enjoy your walk.
1: Thank you, Alan, and you as well. All right.
0: Bye-bye. There's uh, my friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. He's a good man. If you know Bruce, then you know I'm telling you the truth. Okay, we're going to have tons of rumors, some involving the Oilers. That's on the way next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown. Alan Mitchell. Declan Kruger. I'm trying to think of a, a word or a line in that song, and and all I can think of is Children of Thalidomide, and I, I would prefer not to be going in that direction, but I remember that song when it came out. Billy Joel had been famous for a long time, and then it, there was a little lull in his career, and then that one just pumped it right back up again. I do like Billy Joel. Do you like Billy Joel? Oh, I love Billy Joel. I love Vienna. I think that's my favorite Billy Joel song. Yeah, I like um, um, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant is really good. Just- actually, just the way you are is good as well.
2: Salisbury Hill, actually. That's probably my favorite Billy Joel song.
0: That's, uh, that's Peter Gabriel.
2: No. Salisbury Hill?
0: That was Peter Gabriel? No, 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 no. Was it? Well, I feel like we're having a Jim Brown moment here. I don't Would think you? I,
2: I don't think I can debate you on this. You said it was such a certain. All right, I'll take it back then. Vienna is my
0: favorite, uh, favorite Would Billy Joel Would you like song. to look up who, uh, who did uh, Salisbury Hill?
2: <laughs> Do I dare? <laughs> Do I dare? No, I'll just stick with Vienna and we'll just, uh, we'll <laughs> pretend that little comment never happened.
0: Um, yeah, I, I really like the Stranger album. That's got Just the Way You Are, um, scenes from an Italian restaurant, bottle of red, bottle of white. That's good. That's the good stuff. And Piano Man, nine o'clock on a Saturday, regular crowd. Shuffles in. Yeah, yeah. Good song. Yeah.
2: It was Peter Gabriel, by the way, so
0: <laughs> don't know why. Don't know why. Well, okay, there. but in fairness to you, it's a they- hundred years before you were born that it came out. So 78, that song,
2: I think. Were they not both in... No, it was Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins in Genesis.
0: Yeah, you, you're, you're. I'm,
2: I'm getting deeper.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, forget it,
2: forget it. I was gonna brag and say I think I know like eighty, eighty-five percent of the uh, "We Didn't Start the Fire" lyrics, but now it's so like I can't recover from this, so I'll just drop it.
0: Well, that's how, you know, what please understand that we're not mocking you. We understand that you, you have you're young. And I want to learn. There, but the, if we were all of a sudden talking about Drake songs, I would have gaps. It's there just go. a thing, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, or the, the weekend or um, stuff.
2: But the, but the thing is, my dad's listening to this thinking about how he can you know, beat my ass for not knowing Salisbury Hill was a Peter Gabriel song. Well,
0: he will just, he will, th- that you may, he the just, next time you go over for supper, your chair may not be at the table. That's he, how bad that was.
2: I think he just deleted my number from his
0: phone. <laughs> your dad's too good a dad for that. He raised a good boy. Uh, or son, man, is what I meant. Um Okay, so we've got NHL rumors right now, mostly NHL. There's one thing that I'm going to get Declan to take a lash at in a second. Uh, Capitals defenseman Joel Edmondson underwent a procedure on Tuesday to stabilize his fractured hand out four to six weeks. Patrick Kane is going to talk to teams until late October, but he did put out a video, and he looks good. The fact that he's not going to sign with, or talk to anybody until late October is inconvenient because there are 40 articles saying that he's signing in Toronto, so I'm not sure how that works. The Flames and Backlund are close. That's from our friend Frank Saravalli. Very recently. uh, I'm sorry, Chris Johnston, who is also our friend. He says it sounds like the Calgary Flames are getting close to finalizing a contract extension with Michael Backlund. Uh, The sides are believed to be hammering out some final issues. They have to sign somebody. Uh, Jay Woodcroft. We're going to see if there's a chemistry in game action tonight and go from there. He's talking about Kane McDavid-Brown. Connor Brown looking to become a member of that top line. Zach Hyman was absolute fire on that line a year ago. I think you're going to see McDavid Hyman to start the year. I think Dreisaitl Brown will be the check down. You heard it first here on the really big shoe. Um, Corey Schneider is going to retire. He was once rumored to be heading here, I believe. Can't remember the year, and I can't remember what it was about. But every Canuck goalie—they had really good goalies—and every one of them was rumored to be coming here. Craig McTavish was all about it back in the day. I think Lawonga was coming here once too. All right, can you explain this Lillard trade? I know it's huge, and but it's a lot of moving parts, and I, I want I want you to break it down as understanding that that you know it's it's on the fly, so we're not we're not going to hold you to any of this. But you, you mentioned earlier about Lillard. Going to Milwaukee, and maybe not like in terms of a style fit being ideal, but he's such a talent, then you understand why he did it, why they did it.
2: Right. So Lillard has the luxury that Giannis is one of the few superstars in the league who can play off the ball. Most superstars need to dominate the ball, have the ball in their hands for 18, 19 seconds of a 24 second shot clock before they can make a play. Giannis is one of the figures who can, he can play off the ball. He can play in the low post because of his size and footwork. He can play in the high post because of his ability to face up. The issue then becomes Although his assist numbers may look okay, Damian Lillard's never been a first, first thought distributor of the ball. He's always been a score for, score first, slasher, step back, shoot the three type of point guard. Now, anytime you have a talent like that and two guys who want to win, you can generally make it work. But just on paper, when you look strictly on paper, you now have two, two ball stoppers who both score 30 points a game, who both demand the ball to be successful. Like I said, Giannis can play off the ball, and I think he's going to have to more. But do Tigers change their stripes? And Giannis dominated the ball on the way to Milwaukee winning a championship. Damian dominated the ball to being a top 75 player of all time and having a Hall of Fame career. What's going to change now? You would think it's Damian's desire to win, but we're not We're not certain.
0: Okay, that's a good... I like that. Now, the way the NBA works, there could be a flurry of trade. The Raps were reportedly in at least talks or trying to get yes. in the talks. It, it, does that... Does that because they've got guys that could trade, and I thought they would maybe do it earlier. is do you see them being active here before the start of the season?
2: What I had heard about Maza, Maza jury and not really heard. It's just something I, a report I had read on Twitter is that he likes to float trades and then pull the rug out from under other GMs before they have a chance to make a decision. Oh, So now, he's a tease. I don't know how true that is. Obviously, I'm not an NBA insider, but I think now the thought process has to be, Milwaukee listen Boston was already there they paid Jalen Brown all that money they have one of the top seven players in Jason Tatum it was already top heavy with Boston Philly if you want to throw them in there with Harden and Beat and now Milwaukee especially making the playoffs can't just be good enough for Toronto it may have to be but it shouldn't be the standard after bringing that city a championship they have to go out there and they have to do something big who that is what what the trade package would include remains to be seen but if they want to contend with the top heavy teams of the in the East
0: they need to do something I think they should get built walton
2: he was great he was yeah. great for t- you know he only ever made two all-star games his nba career Well, because he was hindered all the time he was he had one year his first all-star year i believe it was he was league mvp finals mvp and nba yeah. champion
0: so kareem was in the west too so that's why he was not an all-star team yeah kareem jeez, that guy was pretty good ever heard of him <laughs> he was so good he was an airplane he was doing side quests so good so good
2: And the one luxury Toronto has, and I'll get away from this quickly, is that... I don't know if you want to call, Pascal Siakam's a star in the Toronto market. He's, he's a multiple time all star, very good player, but I don't think you would define him as a superstar. That said, he can play off the ball. He's not actually, he's not great when he dominates the ball. He's, he did best when Kawhi Leonard was there to, you know, have the brunt of the offense. When Kyle Lowry, before he left for Miami, could get him the ball, feed him the ball. When Fred Van Vliet, who had an all star season playing alongside him, could get him the ball. He plays best off ball. And that's why I think a big name point guard would do
0: well for that Toronto offense. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons when I was a kid either, Tide. You St. Albert parents were strict. Well, we, I, what happened was, he was my son was watching The Simpsons, and Grandma was over for Medicine Hat, and she said something to my son, and he said, don't have a cow, Grandma. And that everybody looked at me like I was the bad dad because I let my son watch The Simpsons. And then that led to probably 18 months of not watching The Simpsons. I had to tape it and watch it when everybody went to bed along with the X-Files. Some of those X-Files episodes I still sometimes remember, and it gives me the shivers.
2: Oh, man, there's one. like It's a guy in a vent with orange eyes, and you just see them through the slits in the vent. Scared the heck out of me, and I was like 19 years old.
0: The elevator one is the one that still, the guy knows it's going to happen, and he races down to the ground floor. Oh, you know what? You know how you something happens in your brain when you're watching something, and then you remember it for 30 years. Oh yeah, it's like Clockwork Orange. I can never watch that movie again.
2: Oh, that one's that that movie will stick with you forever. Silence yeah. the Lambs is like that yeah. for me as well. Yeah. yeah, there are a couple.
0: Yeah. I was listening, but I guess not good enough. I got to the convo late. What's the big news? Well, we just had it. I'm sure you've heard it by now. The big NBA trade. Extend the local programs to 8 or 11. Give an extra hour for Fantasy Frenzy. Well, we talked about that yesterday, but, you know, it's a moving target, you guys. We're trying to figure out what you want to hear, and we love your input. Just always text us in and say Low Tide needs to work for 12 hours or whatever you want, or no hours, which I'm sure, you know, we'll get a few of those too. Al, you can pick up an anvil from Acme Company. While you're there, they might sponsor your show, Life of Brian. Brian. We're always looking for sponsors. Always looking for sponsors. We have a wonderful sponsor right now, I'm going to tell you. And we're hoping to be, for years and years and years, have Wolf GMC Buick as our sponsor. New name, same great team. Find them on corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. com. Say hi to Doug. Say hi to Mary. And I will tell you that they have really good coffee there. If you're ever waiting... Coffee's excellent. Tiger Woods said Mo Norman was one of the two greatest ball strikers of all time. Put him on the mount. Okay. Just got back on. Possible lines tonight. Looks like the top two lines are the lines, which is McDavid with Kane and Brown, and then Dreisaitl with Hyman and the Nuge. With the third line being McLeod, Yanmark, and Fogel. That's according to Jack Michaels. Then there was a lot of upsought, and I'm not sure what we'll see tonight. Not sure. So the, I, I would give you more, but I really can't and remain credible. And even then, it's a stretch. Salisbury Hill by Billy Joel. Humiliate him, LT. <laughs> I can't. I like him. I can't do it. I just. I. He's. He's like a. You know. He's like a. Um. Um. The son of a good friend of mine. I can't do it. I. 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 It's not in me. I've lost the fire to to burninate people.
2: I've turned that heart of coal into a into a warm, <laughs> yeah. soft fire.
0: Yeah, I used to hammer your emchuk, but it was fun. I enjoyed it because your emchuk took it personally. You don't take it personally. You just you you take it internally, and I don't. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't. I don't like doing that. I bottle it up in one day. Well, that's it. And I, you I'll know, see. like your remchuk would just fire back. You know, old man, and they he hit <laughs> me with those gigantic feet of his. Yeah. You don't do that. Well oh, so. I wouldn't want to get kicked by one of those. It's kind of about leaving Genesis. <laughs> uh, yes, Peter Gabriel is so good. He he did a he redid a song called "The Book of Love" recently. It is so damn good. I think his daughter told him to. She said, "Redo this song," and he did. And it. it's I just I, honestly, it is such a beautiful song. It was supposed to be Corey Schneider to the auto's number seven overall pick that became Nurse. Instead, he was traded in New Jersey for pick nine. Sound about right, low tide? It's spot on. Kareem sang Salisbury Hill too. Okay, we're we're through the looking glass here, folks. Like we're now we're turning in on ourselves, and and it's just it, we, there's nowhere to go. We're sooner or later we're just going to spiral out of control, and I'm going to be on a chair with wheels going through the front window. Nobody wants that. I want minimum two hours of baseball talk from Low Tide. Low Tide Baseball Talk is the best radio available in the world. Well, that's a stretch. I will tell you that I remember the opening day lineup for the Montreal Expos in 1969. And I'm not proud of it, but it's there. I don't remember where my car is parked, but I know that. Dan McGinn, who was a relief pitcher, hit a home run and won the game. Tom Seaver started for the Mets. The first pitch, I believe, was Seaver to Maury Wills who was a shortstop. He was later traded by the Expos, but they had him for a little while. Yeah, anything you want to know about past baseball history that nobody cares about? I'm your guy. I am your guy. I can tell you a great Vin Scully story about a former Expo who was on that that opening day lineup, if you like. Would you like me to do that? I'll do that next. I promise you I will. It's a really funny line. I'll blow it, but it'll be really funny, and it's long, and you may fall asleep, and I know I will. <laughs> Who isn't going to stay tuned for that? This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports
2: 1440. Climbing up on Hill. I could see the city light.
0: We 140, this is the Lowdown on still. Sports 1440. First time I heard that song was on CBC Radio. They had a, a show called 90 Minutes with a Bullet. And they would just, you know, they'd have they'd say what their top 40 was, they'd play a few songs, and then sometimes they'd, they'd talk about what was happening in in England that was new and exciting. And that's why I heard Sultans of Swing the first time by Dire Straits and Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. So when people say, oh, yeah, defund the CBC, no. No, you don't want to do that. All kinds of innovation and things that they do And I know I'm on a different station talking about it But I think it's important You know, just on a cultural level So, now we're talking baseball This comes in Who's the best back catcher to ever play for your Expos low tide? I'm too young to remember anything meaningful from the Expos time But I love hearing your passion when you do tell you a story I'm going to tell you two stories in this segment And then it'll be done so in 74, I believe, 73 or 74, the Expos had a rookie catcher named Barry Foote. And he won the Rookie of the Year Award. A good good hitter, but he was, got hurt the next year. And by 75, Gary Carter was ready to play in the majors. But Foote was the incumbent behind the plate, and the pitchers liked throwing to him. So Gary Carter started his career in right field, which is amazing because he was a born catcher. And he had to wait until they traded Barry Foote, I think, to the Cubs and then Gary Carter became, by 77, he was the top catcher, and he was until the winter of 84 when they traded him to the New York Mets, which was a, just a vile moment in my life as a sports fan. Um, but Gary Carter was easily the best catcher the Expos ever had. And I think that if we're honest, I mean, I my choice of best player the Expos ever had would be Tim Raines with, with Vladimir Guerrero Sr. like within an eyelash. And Andre Dawson in there too, but I think most baseball experts would say Gary Carter, the catcher, very important position he played. The other guys that I talked about were outfielders. Andre Dawson was a center fielder, but his knees gave out. Carter played every game basically for like a decade at catcher, which is hard to do, and that's why his wise career it wasn't as long longer as it than it should have been. All right, I was going to tell you a story about the Montreal Expos. They won their first game ever, April eighth, nineteen eleven to ten. And it was Tom Seaver and Maury Wills throwing the first pitch. And Dan McGinn did hit a home run off Seaver in the fourth inning. Rusty Staub also hit a home run off Al Jackson for the Expos. And Coco Leboy, great name, hit one off Ron Taylor. Ron Taylor pitching for the Mets, Canadian Ron Taylor. That was a hell of a game. There was so much that happened really late. Rusty Staub just arrived. He was traded for a, a man named Don Clendenon who wouldn't report, and the Expos um, had a had a a problem. So they sent it a sent a really good pitcher named Jack Billingham to Houston, who would end up being with the Cincinnati Reds when they were winning the World Series. So anyway, in that game, Maury Wills was the the first hitter for the Expos. He went three for six with a two runs scored in an RBI. The backup shortstop to Maury Wills was a man named Bobby Wine. And Wine played on April the 12th, which was four days later, in another win for the Expos, 7-3. They were two wins and three losses at the end of that game. Wine came in for Wills later on. Here's the Bobby Wine story. So Vin Scully in the mid-'80s is talking about some writer that he had talked to in, I believe it was Philadelphia, and they were talking about a, a shortstop second base combination that was doing really well at that point in time. And this would have been the late 60s. So it probably was, uh, I don't know, Larry Boa and Tony Taylor or something like that. And Vin Scully said back in 61, Bobby Wine, when he was breaking in, he was a shortstop or he was a second baseman, I believe. No, he's shortstop. And Co- Cookie Rojas was the second baseman. And... Rojas was a really good player, a much better player than Wine, and he had a much better career. But they were a a very young rookie tandem at second base, shortstop and and second base. Rojas and Wine. And Vin Scully, in, in typical Scully fashion, so beautifully wove this story through a couple of innings. And the punchline was that this sports writer said, you know, Larry Boa and Tony Taylor are the best shortstop second base combination In Philadelphia, since the days of Wine and Rojas. And if you know Wine and Roses, you know the song, you know the movie. It was a beautiful thing. Vin Scully, absolute the best baseball broadcaster in history. Now, the best local baseball broadcaster is Al Coates, who still does the games, by the way. I saw him down at the ballpark this summer sounding splendid, he's the guy who could get up in the middle of the night and call a game. Just give him the lineup, tell him what's happening. Well, a little outside there on that uh, 3-2 pitch, and uh, batter will take his base. I have so many Al Coates stories I could tell you, and you have to pay me. <laughs> Al Coates is a legend. A le- if you get to work with Al Coates, you, you have to know that you are dealing with somebody who is a legendary member of this community, and a great broadcaster. Phillies, wasn't it for foot? Maybe. I'm not sure where Barry Foot went, but I thought it was the Cubs. Backcatcher is not a position. We keep having this thing. I remember one day, back at the other station, I said, when I was growing up, my dad taught me baseball. And he would say to me, son, because I was his son, he said... I played in a, in a really good hardball league in Saskatoon and in surrounding area. And so I called it hardball because my dad called it hardball. And one time I was on the radio and I said hardball instead of baseball and people came absolutely out of the sloughs and ditches and townhouses to hammer me for that. And I was, I was saying, look, I have no, no quarrel. If you want to call it baseball, I'm just telling you that when I was there and my dad was describing it to me, he called it hardball. But people get mad about stuff. Low Tide, what are your thoughts on the Condors? I think we have a lot of shooters there. Savoy, Petrov, others. Which is good if they develop into the NHL. But how do they develop in the AHL of that many shooters? From Xavier. Xavier, that's a great question. And I'm going to answer you. But it'll take a second. Okay. So... The Edmonton Oilers don't get a lot of credit for lots of reasons. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1990, and they haven't been to the finals since 06, and a lot of stuff happened. But they're doing smart things, and I think Brad Holland is a part of that, and I think my friend Michael Parcati will be. They just hired him recently. But here's what they did this this offseason. They looked at their players. They've got lots of guys down there who are very good. Xavier Borgo isn't a shooter so much. He's more of a, a like, he, he, his shot volume isn't high, but his shooting percentage is high. And they have Savoy, uh, and they have uh, Petrov, who's coming uh, to pro this year out of junior. So they got two guys, and I think they'll end up being the centers on the top two lines. Lane Peterson is a right-handed center, really good passer, high skill, and I think that he will mentor, say, Savoy and Borgo. And then Drake Kajula I could play in the middle. And he's another guy who's got good skill. He's a little, I think, more... He's definitely more experienced than James Hamblin. But I think he's a little more skilled than James Hamblin. I think that the Edmonton Orders exactly agreed with your statement, Xavier, back in May and June, and when July came, when they hired Lane Peterson, I don't think they hired Lane Peterson to play in the NHL. I think his role is to help develop those kids in the minor leagues, and I think it's a brilliant move. Low Tide ask the young buck if he's ever watched the original Exorcist. Do you plan on watching the new one? I didn't know there was a new one, and no I wasn't supposed to watch that. My parents said I couldn't watch it, and I did, and I wish I hadn't.
2: Buddy, if, the, if you guys were going to try and come after me for my lack of old horror movie knowledge, you came to the wrong guy. You came to the wrong guy, because, yes, I've seen The Exorcist. I've seen the sequels. Exorcist the, 2, The Heretic, and Exorcist 3, which takes place in a hospital, I will be seeing the new one. Ellen Bernstein is returning for it.
0: No. Uh, yeah, great movie. Scary movie. Love it. Now, if you can I tell you what you should do instead of that? Uh, what? What? You should go and rent all of the Ellen Burstyn's movies. Yeah, she's a great actress. Totally. Great actress. Requiem for a Dream, incredible. And you know what? I love you. Yeah. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore is a great movie.
2: Yeah, she's incredible. She's incredible. And I still think The Exorcist is one of her one of her magnus opuses.
0: Magnus opuses? Uh, opuses. Same time next year is a good movie, too. I remember watching that and thinking, this isn't going to be a good movie, and it was excellent. Well, she's great. She's yeah. great. Yeah. I like that you... That you admit that. I like that you not only admit it, but you, you know it.
2: Mm-hmm. She's... Uh, her and Annette Benning are the two best short-haired actresses of all time, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned.
0: <laughs> what? Why, why did you randomly come up with a category like best short-haired actresses? No, just
2: because I think when I was younger, I got them confused a couple <laughs> times, even though they were different eras, really. But like, not. I guess maybe not quite, but I just got them well, confused a little bit. And I was like, you know what? They deserve a class of their own.
0: I'm just thinking short-haired actresses. Shirley MacLaine in the apartment is adorable with short hair. Yeah, she's, she's great, so too. She's so pretty. She's um, great, too. Did... did um, uh, when Harry met Sally, she had short hair, right? Meg Ryan, yes, I wasn't that short? Short hair it was short hair. That's a great movie. It was thick though. Well, come on, what <laughs> the hell? It's a different so now type it's of like you're just making stuff up. Like,
2: but even if even if it was short, I'm not putting her. I'm not putting her with uh, with oh, with, you, with I will Mrs. fight Warren you over Beattie Meg Ryan and Ellen
0: and, uh, Bernston. She She's great though. We not neither of us have said Ellen Burston's name correctly so far.
2: Is it? Bur- it's Burston?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think you got it then. I was, what it was, uh, I was adding an end oh, in
0: there. Oh, Moore in Ghost was, was with the, the, that was kind of exotic that with I'm using Swayze, exotic yeah. instead of a different word <laughs> <laughs> when she was, you know, making the, anyway. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. We've seen the movie. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Parkati, which current Oilers player will be advising management to move on from? I, I don't think that's going to be Parkati's role. I think his role is going to be who they should add. Right, like the orders have already, the, the anybody who signed is what they call a sunk cost. Like, um, we hired Declan here, and if he was no damn good, there's not a lot you can do unless he does something like drives over me in the parking lot. That's how life works. But he's really good, so that's good. But anybody who's signed by the orders is a sunk cost. Now he will be advising them, or at least helping his department advise the orders on who to sign. I think – I'll make a prediction. I think – I and I I, I bet you – I don't know when he starts. I haven't talked to him because I don't want to because I want him to succeed and I don't want any media hack like me ruining his life. So I will not talk to him. I'm serious. I will not reach out to Michael Parkati because I don't ever want anybody to say, did you talk to Low Tide? But I will tell you this, that if I'm Michael Parkati, which I'm not because I'm not as smart as he is, The two guys that I that I absolutely would find a way to bring up are Ethan Bear and Yesopul Yarvey, because even though it didn't work out here, both of them have have talents the Edmonton Oilers could use. Ethan Bear is a right handed defenseman. You can never have too many of them. And Yesopul Yarvey won't cost a lot once he's healed, and he can help you suppress offense. He can turn pucks over, and that helps. Won't happen, but I'm saying. Al, last question of the day, best third-line center in Oilers history. Oh, uh, he says Linsman, McT, Pekka. Well, I'd I'd put Toddie Marchant in that list, too. And, oh, God, I love Ken Linsman. The rat. Oh, he was so good. I hated him when he didn't play for my team, and I loved him when he played for my team. You know, I'm going to have to say Craig McTavish. I know that that's not a popular answer because he's been a coach and a GM here. But Craig McTavish was the smartest center this team's ever had in terms, and that includes Messier and Gretzky. I'm, I'm I'm saying a 200 foot game. Messier could go off a little bit and take costly penalties. And as brilliant as Gretzky was, he, he was just almost like Nah, Gretzky was smarter. But McTavish was very smart. Lt, glad you're back on the air. Any plans to move your signal uh, on radio? I'm downtown and it's brittle. Well, you can go, tell people how they can listen to us.
2: Yeah, so you can stream us on the iHeartRadio app, the Radio Player Canada app, and of course, the podcast will all be uploaded shortly after the show.
0: Yeah, so we, you got options. us ways. A lot of options. If you're in the office, man, just listen to us online because we're beautiful. We sound clear as a bell. In fact, our our voices sing. That's how good it is. All right, we're out of here. Thanks for tuning in. Jason Greger on the way. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440, and it's time for an update.